0: Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg.
1: And I'm John Fensterwald.
0: This week, we'll be talking with Marshall Tuck, who, as many of you listening know, is running for state superintendent of public instruction in California.
1: And next week, we hope to have his opponent, Assemblyman Tony Thurman, who represents the East Bay, here with us.
0: Well, Marshall Tuck was the first president of Green Dot Public Schools it's a network of 10 charter schools in low income neighborhoods in Los Angeles.
1: He then became the CEO of the nonprofit Partnership for Los Angeles Schools, whose goal was to turn around some of LA's unified's lowest performing schools.
0: And as many of you know, Marshall also ran against Tom Tarlickson four years ago in a bid for the seat. After that, he became educator in residence at the new teacher center, which uh, is devoted to teacher preparation in California and nationally. Welcome, Marshall Tuck.
2: Thanks a lot for having me, and thanks for your continued focus on our kids and on this race.
0: Well, we talked earlier, actually during the primary campaign, we had a conversation with you and your opponent, Tony Thurmond, And some issues have come up since then, and we thought it would be helpful to have you back and to talk about those, just uh, three weeks, a little plus, three weeks plus to Election Day. I'm sure you're looking forward to that.
2: Absolutely. We've got a lot of work to do in the next three and a half weeks, but we want to make sure that voters know the real differences in this race and stay focused on our kids, and we're looking forward to winning.
0: Well, Marshall, let me ask you about the campaign expenditures and income. Last time you ran, the record levels went into the race, and now there's even more money coming in. We reported on this in EdSource this week, $20 million from independent expenditure committees into your campaign or people supporting your campaign, many of them multi-billionaires who are on record as strongly supporting charter schools. Now, I know during the campaign, you have tried not to focus on that issue. You've said you're not pushing for a major expansion of charter schools. But what do you think these supporters who are pouring so much money, not directly into your campaign, but into these so-called IECs, the Independent Expenditure Committees, what what do you think they are expecting of you?
2: Yeah, you know, Louis, I think if we're going to talk about fundraising, we should start with direct dollars in terms of what the candidate can legally raise and the differences with myself my opponent, and then talk about independent expenditures, which are dollars outside of a campaign. We made the decision in our race only to take money from individuals, not from corporations or PACs, and we have uh, raised the most ever raised in this race—almost um, five million dollars at this point, all from individuals, thousands and thousands of individuals.
0: And there's a small. Uh, well, you can—it's up to seventy-three hundred. Exactly, $7, some are fifty dollars and some are seventy-three hundred dollars. $7, exactly. dollars in the general. Yeah, and it's, yeah.
2: A, it's a big difference. So it's all individuals, all. Um, Folks that that are excited about changing our schools are, you know, my opponent over 80% of his money direct money comes from PACs and corporations So it's a real big difference. We have far far more individual donors far 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 more smaller donors and that's the choice that we made because we want to make sure This is about the kids as you mentioned campaign finance Probably another podcast for another time is totally broken uh, and we could spend a long time on that It's very frustrating as a candidate that there's so much activity outside of a race that you can't engage on. But both myself and my opponent have, people have put money into independent expenditures for both candidates. In our case, we have some folks that do support charter schools because there is a difference in this race. I believe that nonprofit charter schools have a role to play in public education. Getting down to the facts, it just came out, great report by a number of researchers from Stanford and Harvard and all over the country showed that Low-income kids were doing a little better in charter schools than they'd be doing in traditional district schools. So I've worked in charter schools for four and a half years. Most of my career has been in district public schools. So I think that is a difference. And my opponent wants to cap the number of charter schools and really, he says, put a pause, basically stop the growth there.
0: He says that he's not against charter schools. He supported charter schools in Richmond when he was on the board over there.
2: Well, I think the biggest policy difference is he he says he wants to stop the growth at this point, and and I don't think that's necessary. Also, if you look at the money behind my opponent in terms of the independent expenditures, just two weeks ago the prison guards actually put almost a million dollars into this race for my opponent and against me. We came out with a video that talked about the fact that California spent $71,000 per prisoner and only $16,000 per student. And I've discussed on the campaign trail that we're the highest funded state in terms of cost per prisoner. And we're one of the lowest funded in terms of how we fund our kids in education. A week after that video came out, the Prison guards Union, which is pretty unique in this race, put a substantial amount of money into this race. And so there's uh, a lot of different interests focused in this race. I think the people behind our race are focused on real change. I've led two public school systems, all serving low-income kids that had uniquely strong results for those kids and we double graduation rates in the partnership schools which were district public schools i helped create 10 new public schools 8 of 10 recognized by us news and world report amongst the best high schools in the country like people know we need change in our public schools and they're excited to get behind our race and i appreciate it
1: you mentioned uh, getting down to facts the research project of stanford university and pace and it's full it's 3 dozen reports what uh, i wanted to ask you particularly focus on California Department of Education and criticism, but before we go there, you know, is there anything outstanding that jumped out
2: to you from getting down the facts? Well, one, I want to thank all of the researchers that worked on this. I think this is a perfect example of what this state needs. It needs our elected leadership in Sacramento, it needs all of our key minds, like you know, some of the leading minds in education, put their time into that analysis. and And the analysis told us things that you know, for those of us you all follow this work, and I've done this work for a long time, that we know in terms of why we. Although we're making some progress in certain areas in the state, we ultimately have a long way to go. You know, they highlighted that we have to have, you know, pre-K for all and more focus on early childhood. That's something that I strongly support and, and think that our state has underprioritized. Like we should have pre-K already, and it's time to do it. They prioritize the fact that something that that I've seen, unfortunately, in my work, because I worked in South LA and East LA and Watts, where in this state, we have a system where our neediest kids have far more subs in front of them, far more teachers who aren't credentialed and far more open teaching vacancies. And so I thought it was a really strong, comprehensive research report about a number of the areas that we need to improve on as a state. And what I hope to lead as state superintendent is, we, I don't want that to be a great report that sits on the shelf. Let's actually put that stuff into action, working with the governor and the legislature and others. So one particular study
1: focused on the Department of Education, which you would manage if you won, and it talked about the turnover in staff and the difficulty in hiring staff due to uncompetitive pay and a shortage of staff compared with other states. So it really raises the question about you know the department's capacity to lead under local control. So where do you begin assuming you know you can't rebuild Rome in a day you're not going to get a ton of money So where will your priorities be in focusing that department to rebuild it
2: Yeah, I think it's anytime you need to change an organization, it starts with leadership. And the fact that in California, for almost a quarter of a century now, we've had a state superintendent who did not have experience leading education systems in this job. We've had politicians and and we're again in a situation where my opponent in this race is a 15 year politician. So I think having an educator who's led multiple public school systems like I have can help actually bring real change to that department. So then where does that change start to your point? you know first i'd like to see us do more rotating positions with people from the field so that we have practitioners chief academic officers directors of of english learners actually in the department maybe one to three year year rotations so that we're having more field based expertise and folks that have been closer to the work more recently that can really serve and support our school districts you know the the California Department of Education's responsibility really should be how do you help school districts get better and and the work that I did in our school systems we always focused all of the people that worked kind of in the back office or the district end of things the focus was how do we best support our principals and teachers so they can best support our kids and in the California Department of Education it needs to be how does the state be a service and support engine for sharing best practices and helping to serve our school districts. Let's, change, let's adjust, make some adjustments on personnel. I think that we also should do surveys every year of school districts and have the districts give us feedback on how well are we doing serving them. This is something that worked well in our schools. And then, and then with that feedback, you know, and- get focused on change.
0: If if I could just jump in on this. Do you think it's realistic that the department could provide or should be providing that support? I mean, a thousand districts, it's well, I I think
2: to your point, a lot of the support should be from the state to the counties, right? Like I think that ultimately, you know, in schools, always think about the work as the closer to kids you are with decisions and focus, the better, right? Which is why in the school systems I led, let's give principals and teachers as much you know, authority and autonomy as possible then let's serve them. And to your point in this state, we've got 58 counties. We also have, you know, the CCEE, right? That's actually another entity focused on support. So I think we have to step back and say, what's gonna be the core phenomenal competency of the state? What's gonna be the great competency of the counties and also the CCEE? I think at the core of the state, the state should be great at identifying what is working in the field. Cause they can look across the entire state to figure that out. And then whether it's the county, whether it's the CCEE, whether it's actually school districts that are providing that capacity, building support to other school districts. I think you do that based on where is the most effective support. So just you know, one example of that is that the core school districts, which are at this point, I think still eight of the largest districts in California. They had a situation where Long Beach Unified, which was doing some really good stuff in its schools, was lending personnel to go build support and capacity in Fresno, the state should be helping to facilitate those relationships between county and district or or maybe even district to district.
0: We're speaking with Marshall Tuck, who is running for the post of state superintendent of public instruction.
2: Another
1: area that was in getting down to facts was an inadequate data systems for supporting K-12. Early education and higher education aren't linked, and then districts complain that they don't have the kind of information that they need to make decisions based on what's effective and what isn't. So give an example, make your
2: case for better data. Well, I think this is a perfect example of why we need real change in our public schools and why we need new leadership in Sacramento around public schools because California, you all have written about this, we're one of only six states in the country that doesn't either have or isn't working on a pre-K through 16 data system. And if you don't have good data to identify what's working in terms of both within schools and then be able to see which schools are sending the most kids to community college or, or for university and having those kids be successful then you can't learn well you know this state we're, we're sitting here talking we're in oakland we're in the bay area the technology capital of the world is the bay area and and our state doesn't have an effective data system for kids and for those of us that, that have led in schools, you know you have to give data to principals and teachers and counselors and others to help them get better to find out which practices are working and do more of it. In the partnership schools that I led, we would, we would every month sit down with our principals and look at across our data and say, which school was doing the very best redesignating our English learners? And then let's have our principals go and walk with that principal and find out what practices actually changed. That's what you want the state to be doing across all schools, working with the county and others but it requires a strong data system. And the fact that we don't have that system in place, I think is another indication of where real change is absolutely critical in, in our public education system. But,
0: just, but we do have the Smarter balance. scores course just came out, we know how English learners are doing not well enough. So what more do we need? I mean, what where do you see as the gaps?
2: Well, I think the biggest gap right now is we don't have our data systems connected between K-12 and higher education. So when you think about you know, what what do you really want to track for a student that went through a certain elementary school or middle school or high school? Did they have success in community college or university? I'd also like to see a data system over time, not just pre-K through 16, but connected to workforce so that we can actually see, did those children actually get a job? And then you're able to really see which schools and which districts are having the truly the most success preparing kids for college and career. What specific strategies were they utilizing to get there? And, and it, that to me is something we gotta move on right away. I think it's a priority for our likely next governor, Governor Newsom. It's something I look forward to working with him on, but ultimately it gets back to this question of You know, why haven't we done this before? Because it's very available to do.
0: One of the things that I think people who have been following education in California for many years have appreciated over the last eight years is that the Department of Education, the superintendent of public instruction, the governor, state board have really worked very closely together. That wasn't always the case. There was often the department was at odds with the governor. Usually it was a Republican versus a Democratic superintendent. You are a Democrat. But I did want to just come back to the charter issue that you've gotten so much support from charter school supporters. The Charter School Association was extremely critical of Lieutenant Governor Newsom. Some frictions there. How would you anticipate your relationship with the next governor, whoever it is? But I think we can predict that it's Lieutenant Governor Newsom.
2: Yeah, but I think the point you made is critical. This state needs real change in our public schools. We've got, as we're sitting here now, there's 6.2 million kids in public schools and over three million can't read and write at grade level so we need big change that's going to require a governor state superintendent legislature business leadership labor to all come together and work together on this issue. And the good news is I have a, a strong pre-existing relationship with Lieutenant Governor Newsom and I look forward to working very closely with him. We have a strong mutual respect for each other. And if you look at his agenda, he says, let's get serious about pre-K and early childhood, which is also one of our top priorities. So, you know, he's got to win the election, but I assume he will and, and certainly uh, I'm supporting him and, and look forward to working closely with him to, to move our schools to where they should be in this state, which is every child in California should have an opportunity for a good education and that's what we need to do.
1: You mentioned Smarter Balanced results. There hardly went up in this latest round, the fourth year of testing. In fact, it was a big dip for 11th grade. So how concerned should we be? And if you were in office next year and scores were flat again, what would you do?
2: Well, I think we should be very concerned because not only are scores going up at a very slow pace, but the achievement gaps have barely made progress. Uh, And actually the achievement gap between whites and Asian and and blacks has actually not closed, it hasn't gained at all. And the achievement gap between whites and Asians and Latinos has only shrunk a little bit. And so what that's telling us is we have a lot more work to do in our public schools. And that certainly the move to common core standards was a positive move forward. I think the local control funding formula, I tell people all the time, I think Governor Brown's leadership on that was the most important piece of policy in the last 10 years, I've only worked in low-income schools, they require more resources. It has not been implemented well. Those resources are not getting to the kids of greatest need and that's something that the state superintendent can change and I will change it. So we should be very concerned because we have a state right now where if you are born low-income, if you are a child of color, your chance at a good future right now is very low. Latinos are 25% proficient in math in this state. Blacks are 19% proficient. That's a real problem and we got to make real change. And so that'll be my focus as state superintendent.
1: So at the same time, getting down to facts, the watchword was from interviews with superintendents and teachers, stay the course. Don't make any significant great changes. Don't reverse because we are trying to implement a new system of standards and finance and accountability. Don't go in and muddle around too much. Give us some time. What's
2: the balance there? Yeah, no, I'm not sure that was this, the interpretation I had for the report. I think the, uh, my interpretation was on the key changes that were made, moving to Common Core standards, you know, moving forward on low control funding formula, more dollars for low-income kids, and more flexibility to use those dollars, and moving on multiple measures versus just one strong. Those three big changes, they said, hey, let's not change those, and I'm strongly aligned there. Other than, again, we're going to make sure Low Control Funding form is implemented the way it should be implemented with dollars getting to kids. It also identified a number of areas that need real change, that our curriculum is not lining up with the standards, that I think it was over half of our English teachers and 40% of our math teachers felt they didn't get the support they needed to transition to new standards, that our low-income kids still have far too many open vacancies in their schools and substitutes. So we need real change, and that doesn't mean that the work to done date, there's not stuff to grow on, but if we keep going on the current path, we are destined to have a lot of low-income kids not have a chance at a future, and that's unacceptable in my opinion. And that's what we're going to change.
0: We're talking with Marshall Tuck, and before we let you go, you know when people talk about this office, they often say, "Oh, it's more or less all you have is the bully pulpit." And I just discovered this week that the Constitution, which is in your this position, is prescribed in the California Constitution, but it just says that it will be a superintendent of public instruction, doesn't have any actual duties. What do you think you can do most effectively other than being an effective spokesperson?
2: Yeah, well, we could do a lot. I think one of the reasons that people see this position as a spokesperson is because it's been held by politicians, not people who've actually led education systems and driven change. And this job actually has, you have the responsibility to interpret current law in the books for school districts. And we saw with the current interpretation by the existing state superintendent around local control funding formula, we literally saw Hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that were supposed to go to low income kids, not get there. So, there's real power and, and influence in terms of interpreting laws. There's also the ability, as we talked earlier, to really support counties and districts to get better at sharing quality practices. You know, one thing I want to do is every year the state gives, you know, awards for Teacher of the Year and Principal of the Year. Let's actually give those teachers and principals and counselors stipends, have them do a Google Hangout, you know, three, four times a month where they're sharing their quality practices. And the state can become a phenomenal engine for helping educators learn from each other and facilitate that. So there is significant amount of influence and direct power this job has, if led by somebody who's really focused on real change, if led by somebody who's an educator, not a career politician, and that's that's my focus, that's my background, and that's where we'll be. Well, Marshall, thanks for coming back and visiting with us. We're
1: going to not only publish this podcast, but we'll also be updating our webpage and, and
2: continue our conversation and getting some answers to other questions. Great. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for focusing on it and looking forward to a lot of conversations over a long time in the future. Our kids need a lot more from us, and we all need to step up for them.
0: That was Marshall Tuck, who is running for state superintendent of public instruction in California. And that just about wraps it up for this week in California education. Tony Thurmond, who is running against Marshall Tuck, hopefully will be on next week.
1: And continue to watch for our coverage of the campaign.
0: Thanks, John, and thanks to our sponsor, the SD Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Our producer is Shuka Kalatari. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra. If you like what you hear, write us a review on iTunes. I'm Lewis Friedberg.
1: And I'm John Fensterwald.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.